Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Welcome back, John. Aloha, Chad. It's redraft time. This is going to be a fun one. The 2009 yep. NBA draft. A lot of, lot of talent in this draft. This was a good draft. When I went back through this and was making my board for this again, that like there were good players I had to leave off. Good players that we had to leave off. There was a lot of excitement around this draft. And this was a draft that was loaded with point guard prospects. I'm not sure that we've ever had a draft where there were so many choices among point guards and who was going to be great. And some panned out, some didn't. But a, a loaded draft on, on that end. And as we pointed out in our last redraft, two MVPs are going to come out of this draft, which is extraordinary. So if you haven't listened to our redrafts before, John and I are going to do this in a mock draft-esque format. We're going to be basing this on hindsight, right? Not what people were thinking at the time of the draft, but looking back on their careers, who we think based off of their careers should have been drafted where. John, I believe you get the first pick in this draft. It goes to the Los Angeles Clippers. And let's just give a historical redraft before so everybody knows what, what happened. The Clippers had the number one pick in the draft. They selected Blake Griffin out of Oklahoma, who was the consensus number one guy in that draft. There was no debate about who the number one guy in the draft should have been. The Grizzlies... Can we, we skip to three? <laughs> the Grizzlies, on the advice of John Hollinger... No, no, I was not with the Grizzlies when this happened. Select Hashim Thabit out of UConn. And we'll talk a little bit about Hashim a little bit later. The Oklahoma City Thunder on the board at number three. James Harden out of Arizona State. Sam Presti's third in a row MVP that he drafted. Sacramento Kings had the fourth pick in the draft. They selected who eventually became the rookie of the year in that draft, interestingly enough, Tyreek Evans out of Memphis. Minnesota Timberwolves had back-to-back picks after that. They picked fifth and sixth. David Kahn was on the clock. They selected Ricky Rubio out of Spain at number five, which wasn't a big surprise. Rubio was in that range. But then they shocked the world by taking another point guard, Johnny Flynn out of Syracuse, at six when at number seven the golden state warriors were able to select steph curry out of davidson one pick behind johnny flynn yes the new york knicks on the clock at eight jordan hill out of arizona the raptors at nine took demar Derozan out of usc milwaukee took high school prospect brandon jennings who did not play college basketball one of the first players to say, hey, if I can't go straight from high school, I'm just going to skip college basketball season. The Nets at 11, Terrence Williams out of Louisville. Charlotte at 12, Gerald Henderson out of Duke. Indiana 
took like the most Indiana guy ever and Tyler Hansborough. <laughs> yes. Out of North Carolina. Like you <laughs> saw that one coming a mile away. That was back yeah. when Larry Bird was running the front office. Tyler Hansborough all the way. And the Phoenix Suns at 14 took Earl Clark out of Louisville. Two Louisville prospects in the lottery. That doesn't happen every day. Okay. The Clippers are on the board. This is actually a tough call because you have the choice of two MVPs to select from here. Is this Steph Curry? Is this James Harden? Who do you take? Yeah, this is tough. This is tough, but I'm going to take Curry. Uh, I just think his his peak, the 15, 16, 17, was, was the highest of any stretch any of these players hit from this draft. And I mean, seriously, any players in NBA history, practically. So I'm going to, I'm going to grab that peak. I think he has to be the top pick. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting, obviously the history here teams weren't teams were quite as locked into how much the three point line could still be weaponized and how much the game would still change, which both Curry and Harden, the top and James Harden, really showed in the years following this draft. But as, as an offensive force, I just don't think we've had anything quite like Curry in terms of the mayhem he causes when he doesn't have the ball uh, as a screener, as a cutter, and then his ability to shoot from such distance when he has the ball. And so for that, for that reason, I think he has to be the top pick. I also would have selected Curry at number one, and, and such an interesting backstory. His, his dad, obviously a famous NBA player, Del Curry, who also had a beautiful three-point shot and was one of the first real like three-point shooters in the NBA. Yes. Plays at Davidson, but makes a national name for himself with his scoring antics and his ability to let it fly anywhere on the court. Tons of questions about Steph Curry. Could he make the transition from really a primary scorer to a ball handler and distributor. He started to, to do that towards the end of his college career, but there was a big question mark about that. Was he an elite athlete, his size, his lack of strength? Was he going to just get destroyed on the defensive end? I mean, there was a lot of questions about Steph Curry and teams were all over the board on him. No one disputed the shooting ability, mm-hmm. but I think, as you said, teams weren't still recognizing exactly how to weaponize that. And, yeah. and you know, we've, we've been talking about prospect. These are red flags, right? Size for position, strength, who's going to be able to, how he's going to be able to do defensively. And in fairness, you know, Curry wasn't Curry his first few years in the league. I mean, he was, he was good. He, it was funny because he started slow. The second half of his rookie year, he really started to pick things up and you could see that his ability to run pick and roll was going to, was going to be at the very least good enough and ended up being far more than that. But he really picked things up as a, as a point guard and ball lead ball handler pretty quickly. And I think that, that, that was one thing that was really an accelerant that maybe teams didn't all anticipate. And he, despite being slight of frame is, is strong and He's more athletic than he looks. And the other thing is continuing to work on his game and that release of his shot, getting quicker and quicker and quicker to adjust for a little bit for his lack of size and, and, and other things in the NBA 
Steph Curry is one of those prototypical guys that kept working and working and working on his game. He was yeah. driven, and he figured out what defenses were taking away, how to adjust to that. And I think he's a great testament to, look, he doesn't have the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James physical attributes, but that work ethic and that drive was there for sure mm -hmm. all the way, and he figured out how to make it work, and, and he's been incredible. I've got a great Steph Curry story. It's actually one okay. of my favorite pre-draft stories. So we're in Chicago. It's right before the NBA draft combine. And Tim Grover ran that attack athletics building right where the, the pre-draft camp was happening. Yeah. The combine was happening in Chicago. And Steph Curry comes in a day or two before the combine to get some shots up. And his dad, Dell, is there. And, and Tim has guys like hanging around. Tim Grover, by the way, if you don't know him, that was Michael Jordan's trainer. If you've been watching The Last Dance, you've seen... Tim talk and Tim has trained a lot of NBA prospects and Tim has guys that are hanging around that can help with certain things. And he has this guy, I won't say his name, but he was a shot doctor and in, you know, his role, he would show up there from time to time to help guys with a shot, Tim Grover. So, so Steph Curry walks into the gym, Tim Grover goes, goes over to him and tells him, leave him alone. First of all, his dad's there. Right. And you know, Steph's there, just leave him alone. Let him shoot. Let him get in a workout or whatever. I'm standing next to the guy and he can't, he can't help himself. He's watching and everything's going in for Steph Curry, right? Which is a problem for a shot doctor. Like everything's yeah. going into workouts or whatever. And one of the things they did is he would take the bill out of a baseball hat and he would put coat hangers in it. And he was always trying to get your shot aligned, right? So you move your shot up through the middle uh, of your face, right? Through those coat hangers or whatever. That was sort of his shtick. And mm -hmm. he's waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, Steph Curry misses like a couple of shots in a row. He can't help himself. Boom. He's on Steph Curry, like white on rice. Boom. He's on <laughs> them trying to like show him his thing or whatever. And we're just cracking up. I mean, here's the greatest shooter who has, who has the greatest coach already in Del Curry. And he, and he just couldn't help himself. He was going to show <laughs> Steph Curry how he should adjust his shot or, or shoot differently in the draft. That, that was like, we were just busting up laughing. There was like six of us on the sidelines just busting up laughing, watching this happen. Well, I'm, I'm glad Steph didn't listen to him. Steph didn't listen to him. No one should tell Steph Curry how to shoot. Huh. Okay. Franchise changing pick for the Warriors. They are not yeah. the Warriors that we know today without no. Steph Curry. No, and they don't get Kevin Durant either. They don't get Kevin Durant. It's, it changes everything. Yes. The second pick in the draft goes to Memphis. <laughs> and, and here's something that I think sometimes fans don't understand. You can have a scouting force. You can have a front office. But at times, owners get something stuck in their heads. And they can override everybody in the draft. And I think this is widely regarded as Michael Heisley, who was the owner of the Grizzlies at the time, pick. Yep. He, he was still stuck in this mindset that if you've been watching The Last Dance, you, you hear her talk a lot about that, look, big guys are the way to a championship, right? You don't, you don't win with guards. You take big guys at the top of the draft. And here's the beat. He's what, 7'3"? Seven, seven, He's a monster of a player and, and he's, he's had a good career at, at UConn, UConn, 
But there, there are question marks about to beat. Uh, somebody asked me the other day on a podcast, what was the most polarizing prospect that I covered in the draft? And I, and I immediately said to beat because th- it was either he's going to be great and he's worthy of like a top two pick, or there was a number of teams that did not have them in his lo- him in their lottery. Mm. That That's rare. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. rare divergence that was happened. Unfortunately for Grizzlies fans, Michael Heisley loved him, fell in love with him. He was a very charismatic player. And I think that also helped in interviews or whatever. He was funny, very enjoyable to talk with. They take him number two. He plays a total of 224 games, averages 10 minutes a game in the NBA, two points per game. This is like one of the all-time bust busts. Yeah. And they had to trade a first just to get off the last year of his contract. It, it, it was a disaster. Meanwhile, yeah. the guy right below them was James Harden. Yeah. Out of Arizona State, who has be, who has created to me almost like an entire new game. I'm like, who else plays like James Harden or played like James Harden? Yeah, nobody. It, he's created something like unique unto himself. And I'm trying to think of like the last guy that I I could sort of think of that was sort of like that. And he wasn't the same impact scorer that Harden was, but like maybe Manu Ginobili. And just that his style of play and everything about him was just incredibly unique and different. And wasn't yeah, just it was, totally based off of athleticism. Yeah, it was a, was a lot more skill-based. Uh, two, two more stories about uh, the beat pick. Um, First of all, what's so amazing about it, the Grizzlies already had Marc Gasol. Right. You know? <laughs> so like Who they thought was it, a throw-in in the trade, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, there's that. Um, but the, the other funny thing, now if you uh, – I don't know if you heard this story, uh, but James Harden worked out for the Grizzlies and tanked the workout. Intentionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was it like was shooting balls over the backboard and stuff? Like <laughs> it was just – did not want to get picked, but he, he showed up for the workout because I guess the agent told him to go. Yeah, but- well, who was Rob Polinka, and probably <laughs> hatched that that strategy with Harden. I mean, yeah. if there was if there was an agent that was always trying to engineer the draft and get his guys to where he wanted them to go, it was right. Rob Polinka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harden, I went down to watch Harden work out pre-draft. You know, Polinka was always a guy that carefully guarded his guys. He was very careful about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me about Harden was, you know, the workout. The workout was okay. I mean, you know, he's a skills guy, and sometimes it's more like athleticism or some other things that actually pop in those sorts of yeah. work at workouts. Yeah, definitely. He wasn't playing with anybody. But when we sat down and talked, and I believe it was his mother that was there as well, the intelligence that was there, the feel for the game – that he was a student of the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just really, really struck by that. He gets drafted by OKC. He doesn't really, you know, he, he's not going to get the traditional, I'm the number three pick in the draft. I'm going to go in and get all the shots or whatever, because at this point you've got Russell Westbrook and you have Kevin Durant on this basketball team. Was this, we know that Oklahoma City ends up trading him in part because of cap reasons and not wanting to pay the luxury tax. Was this like one of the biggest missteps ever? Because you imagine over time that Westbrook Harden and 
Durant win multiple championships? Possibly. Uh, I think also the thing you have to ask is, even if they were going to trade one of them, would they have been better off trading Westbrook and keeping Harden and Durant together? Right, because of that sometimes rocky relationship between uh, Westbrook and Durant and Harden being more facilitator-minded. Yeah, Harden is probably easier to play with than than Westbrook. Um, So, I mean, he wasn't perceived as being in the same orbit as those guys because he was still coming off the bench. But I think it was immediately apparent when he got to Houston that he was a big-time player too. So I think think the Thunder should also – wonder about that a little bit. And then ironically, they ended up paying tax the last couple of years to keep together teams that weren't nearly as good. And uh, yeah, I think they learned, they learned from the mistakes. Yeah. 25 points per game for his career. And that's underselling, that's underselling it a bit, considering that's, that his first couple of years at Oklahoma city, he was not a primary exactly. scorer. Exactly. Tops exactly. everybody in wind shares tops, everybody in uh Vorp. I guess my question to you is you talked a little bit about peak Curry beating peak Harden and that being the reason that you select him above. Is there, is there any other reason that that Harden goes two instead of one in your eyes? I think that's basically it. I mean, they're both really high level offensive players that you can build your whole team around. There's, I mean, it's a pretty close gap between these two guys. What about defense? Harden? Yeah. Harden's Harden's been knocked for it. I think I think he had a stretch where he was really bad, but I don't think that's been the defining thing over the course of his career either. I think he's actually low key a pretty decent defender right now. He's very good switching on to bigs, which is a huge part of their scheme. So that that's important. I think he loses focus and loses attention a lot. And I, I think that happened a lot more, especially that one year the year they lost to uh Portland in the first round. I think that was a big problem. But I don't think he's been nearly as bad in that respect the last few years as he was at that time. Should he get, I think if I can anticipate the argument that that Harden should go ahead, 826 games to 699 games, over 4,500 more minutes played. Steph Curry's Mm -hmm. had some injury issues multiple times during his career. Harden hasn't really. He's been much more durable as a player. At what point do those 127 games start to add up? Uh, I think he'd need at least 127 more. Uh, flags fly forever, right? I, I just, I just think that Pete Curry uh, w- wins that. Okay, so James Harden goes number two to Memphis. Would have been a very, very different team that you would have joined uh, in Memphis. And James Harden <laughs> yes. and Mark Gasol. And Mike Conley and Zebo and Tony, this could have been a championship team in Memphis. Mm-hmm. That's how big a whiff the to beat thing was because it wasn't like Harden had to come in and do it alone in Memphis. Again, with Gasol and Conley, yeah. this, this would have been an amazing basketball team. Absolutely. Wow. 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 Uh, okay. Oh sorry. Well. Sorry, Grizzlies fans. Um, that's tough. All right. Oklahoma city on the board at number three. Who do you got? Yeah. Uh, I will take, uh, one of the most hated opposing players in Memphis Grizzlies history, but a great fit for Oklahoma city from the university of Oklahoma, Blake Griffin. Wow. Uh, Hometown guy. Yeah. Who was, who was the, uh, 
the number one pick. And before the lottery, people were obviously talking about the fact that if Oklahoma City won the lottery, this would be a perfect pairing because Griffin was from Oklahoma and all that. Um, the one thing I do want to say about Blake Griffin, because we we talked about guys putting in the work and improving their games and whatnot. Um, his body has failed him a little bit the last couple of years, but the development he's made as a shooter and a ball handler from when he came into the league is unbelievable. And I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for it where by the time he got to Detroit, he was basically operating as a pick and roll ball handler above the three point line, shooting step back threes off the dribble for a guy who came to the league as basically a, a dunking highlight reel lob city and all that. Uh, just a profound change in his skill level uh, deserves a lot of credit for it. And I hope we'll see him on the court again. Yeah, this is really, I mean, I still think that Curry and Harden, even if Griffin is healthy, his entire career, probably I'd still select both of them ahead of him, but it, yeah. it becomes a much closer argument. If you have Blake Griffin healthy throughout his career, he missed, I think he believed he missed his entire rookie season. Missed his entire rookie season, yeah. Then obviously only played 18 games this year. Um, missed bits and pieces of other seasons. So it's just always it's always been in the background, even when it hasn't been in the foreground. He had the the single craziest training regiment of anybody that I've ever ever scouted. Maybe Damian Lillard is next. He was trained by this Navy SEAL, and it was up in San Francisco, and the workout that he put Blake Griffin through was the most grueling thing that I, I mean, Blake Griffin's a beast. I mean, it was mm-hmm. the most grueling thing that I've, I've ever seen. He was running sand dunes. I mean, there was all this stuff that he was doing throughout the Bay area. It was unique. I'd never really seen anything like it before. And, the, and his trainer, the, the entire time my Blake Griffin worked out was jumping rope the entire time. I mean, he was a seal. He was in really great shape. But I wondered a little bit, and again, I I have no way of knowing, you know, Tim Grover's talked a lot about this in the NBA, building a basketball body, training Mm -hmm. specifically for certain things, and actually training as a way of preventing injury. And that was a part of why Jordan brought him in and wanted to make him durable and last. And I wonder if this might be the case where Blake Griffin actually could have used maybe someone like a Tim Grover who mm-hmm. was training his body to be more a basketball player than a seal. Yeah, yeah. Was this uh was this Frank the life changer that, uh, that yeah, was yeah, I think him? that's right. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he was he you know, he he was at uh Memphis, uh the University of Memphis uh for for a long time after that. Um so yeah, I've you know, I've heard other people in the league wonder that if he was if he was really training his body the right way um when he was doing all that stuff. Okay. Well, this would have been also a great pick for Oklahoma yeah. City. I mean, Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant. I also would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they made it. I felt less pressure to make a trade too. And a hundred percent agree with you that Blake Griffin is one of those amazing stories of a guy that just continued, continued, continued to adapt his game. Averaged four and a half assists per game as a as a power forward in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was the Pistons' lead ball handler uh, in the in that eighteen nineteen season. I mean, it was a it was an incredible year that nobody saw because he was on the Pistons. All right, it's the Sacramento Kings. It's that time. 
where we, we shake our heads a little bit at the Kings. <laughs> and this one's a little bit harder because they drafted rookie of the year mm-hmm. and a rookie of the year, Tyreek Evans, who was the only the fourth player in NBA history to average at least 20 points, five rebounds, and five assists in the rookie season. Yeah, his rookie year was amazing. I mean, he was the clear-cut rookie of the year, even with all the other talent in this draft. The only other three players, who were the other three? Oscar Robertson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. So that's- Which one of these is not like the others? And and so, you know, everyone's high-fiving in Sacramento after after that rookie year. Right, Blake Griffin. Not Blake, Blake Griffin didn't play, and so that's part of it. But James Harden wasn't the MVP. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry, rookie of the year. Steph Curry wasn't. It was it was Tyreek Evans, and then just sort of watch his game every year start to drop off with a with a few exceptions. We'll we'll talk about him later when we when we get to him. Sure. I have Demar Derozan here uh, for okay. the Kings, and uh, super big prep star. High school, major, major buzz with DeRozan possibly being the top two, three pick in the draft. Had a questionable season at USC. The athleticism was there. The shot wasn't there. There's major questions about whether he was going to be able to score in the NBA, uh, you know, from, from a shooting standpoint. He's just had a really solid career. It's been a 20-point-per-game score in the league throughout his career improved as a shooter though never became a great shooter and has just been one of those solid solid starters in the league if not never quite elite but i think there's a major cutoff here after these three guys and and i think derozan's had the best career of the guys that are left yeah and a really uh an eye test guy coming out of usc his analytics weren't great uh but he turned into a really nice pick for the raptors and, uh, you know, one of those guys that loved playing in Toronto, which was often a problem for the Raptors, was deeply hurt when he was traded yeah. uh, to San Antonio. Uh, we're really, you, you don't hear about that as much anymore, but a player that was really, really devastated, I think wanted to play his entire career uh, at, at Toronto. Great pick for them. You understand why Masai made the trade that he made, and it led to a championship in Toronto that I don't think was possible with DeMar DeRozan. And yes, of course. Even if it was getting Kawhi just on, on one year, I think you still look back at that trade and say the goal's a championship, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. But he's number four for me. That leaves you with Minnesota's f- fifth pick in the draft. They they did need point guard, legitimately. Mm-hmm. They drafted Ricky Rubio, who was a mm-hmm. European sensation at the time and a guy that was playing at a very high level in Europe and had been for years. Is that who you'd select at number five? Uh, I think they could do a little better. Uh, so I'm going to go with Drew Holiday, uh, who had some injury questions, but has definitely become a really good two-way player, one of the best defensive players in the league, and then a good scorer in his own right, too. And, uh, you know, still has some good years left in him, too. And... I think I think after those after those guys we mentioned, I mean, he's clearly the next guy here. Only one All Star game, just made the All Star team in Philly the one time. Although he probably should have made it in seventeen eighteen with the uh, with the Pelicans. He had a really tremendous year. But 
Uh, he's a pick here. Shout out to my former colleague, Ed Stefanski, who grabbed him in uh, Philadelphia with, I think, the 18th pick that year. 17th, 17th pick that year. 17th pick, yeah. Interestingly, he was ranked very high on my board for most of the year as a top five pick and was a bit of a slide on draft night. Also a prep star. Didn't have the most dominating season for UCLA, but there was just a lot a lot to his game. I really loved him in the workout that I saw him in. I I thought he actually should have been like a top five-ish pick, and I thought this was an absolute steal at 17 in the draft. And so, yeah, I think going going five makes a lot of sense. In Minnesota, they could have done better. Speaking, speaking of picks where Minnesota could have done better. I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the raspberry chocolate cream. Okay. Uh, sorry, John. Uh, first of all, the bar tastes great. It's creamy. It's soft. It essentially tastes like I'm eating a piece of C's candy, but it's low in sugar. It's got high protein. It's it's an energy bar. It's it's not a candy bar, John. It just it just tastes like one. I've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. But I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft. And there's no high sugar content or chalky bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars you want, John, in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com, LOCKEDON, $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Next time we can take a little break together and you can enjoy your Built Bar while I enjoy mine. Listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network, brought to you by Built Bar. Redrafting the 2009 NBA Draft, I'm with John Hollinger. John has just selected the first pick for Minnesota. They had back-to-back picks that year. He also selected a point guard, so the third point guard now for Minnesota, Drew Holiday, is off the board. They took Johnny Flynn. Everybody who is anybody said what. On, on draft night. And Johnny Flynn was one of those guys that parlayed, I think it was like a four or five overtime game. In the Big East tournament? In, in was it six th- overtime? Maybe was it was six? It, it was something insane that got him that intangible warrior quality. He worked <laughs> out really well in workouts. He was a very positive, upbeat guy who I, I think had, you know, those intangibles 
that you looked for. And in fairness to him, injuries uh, played a significant role in yeah, absolutely in in what happened to him in the NBA. Uh, he he looks worse today than he was as a basketball player. But even then, I I don't think it, uniformly every that he was absolutely hammered for taking Johnny Flynn with Ricky Rubio almost didn't get Ricky Rubio to come to Minnesota because they selected Johnny Flynn. Ricky Rubio actually felt disrespected <laughs> by Minnesota, which is a classic sort of David Kahn esque uh, move for them. And it just made so much sense. Ricky Rubio. What was the one thing Ricky Rubio couldn't do, John? Uh, shoot. He couldn't shoot. Who was on the board? Uh, Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. And, and with a question at the time, whether Steph Curry was even going to be a point guard or a two guard and Ricky Rubio being a, you know, a taller point guard, I think a Rubio Curry backcourt would have been really, really interesting. Oh man. Can you imagine all the transition threes they would have gotten from Ricky pushing it up and Steph just running to a spot up? Oh uh, yeah. It just, it made so much sense. And instead he takes Johnny Flynn. Ricky Rubio doesn't come. That that season, Flynn turns out to to be a bust. Just just in the long line of both David Kahn esque mistakes, but also just Minnesota Minnesota mistakes in general. Yeah. It, it, it's a pretty pretty heavy one, and I think as you said, there was like this clear. It's clear who the top five guys are, and then after that, I think it starts to get a little bit harder. There's sort of a bunch. There's a muddle here. There's, yeah. There's kind of a bunch of guys muddled together that you could justify taking depending on, you know, what, what you thought or whatever. I'm, I'm maybe going to be controversial here mm -hmm. and give Minnesota back Ricky Rubio. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to understand what went wrong with Ricky Rubio's career because the talent to me is undeniable on the court. And some of it was shooting for sure, but he got in a funk, I think. And I, and you know, I'm not really sure why then he kind of worked himself out of it in Utah and then sort of fell back into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, he was, he, he was really good for the Suns, though. Like he, I mean that that signing really helped them. It really was that confidence in his offensive game as far as scoring the basketball. He struggled at times to even take shots, not not just three-pointers, yeah. just shots in general. And that seems to be the thing that held him back. He ended up being a 39% career field goal shooter, which isn't which isn't great. No. <laughs> yeah, and that so the thing it wasn't just the long-range shooting with him. The finishing also wasn't great. Like just shot making from anywhere on the on the floor was always a problem for him. And I think that's the thing that that held him back the most because of just a brilliant passer. You know, confidence matters, and you know we see this like with Markel Fultz. You know, to a certain extent, psychology is part of the game. And if you start to convince yourself that you can't do something, it can snowball pretty quickly and create yeah. problems. And for all the hype that Ricky Rubio had coming in as a 16 year old playing professionally in Spain and, and all the talent and clear basketball IQ that, that was there. There was also a mental block 
around his offensive game that I think held him back. But I still think just on his brilliance as a passer and and his ability to defend. And as a league. defender, yeah. yeah in plus, the plus defender for sure, yeah. I, I still think he's better than the other point guards that are on the board as well as better than the other sort of role players that we're probably going to be talking about now uh, that mm-hmm. you could have taken in this draft. So that's that's my guy from Minnesota. They didn't get it right. They did get it right when they drafted him. They just drafted him. They should have drafted Steph Curry. And I think the maybe his whole career would have been different had he played with yeah. Steph Curry in his backcourt. Okay, that leaves you with the Golden State Warriors who are really bummed right now. Yes. Because Steph Curry yeah. is off the board. Their franchise Steph- is not going to take off now. No, no, no. But uh, can, I, can I interest you in Danny Green? You can. As a, as a replacement for Steph Curry. <laughs> my, my pick here is Danny Green. He was the 46th pick in the draft by Cleveland. Cleveland let him go. San Antonio scooped him up. San Antonio cut him. And then San Antonio brought him back, and the rest is history. Turned into a really high-level role player, 40% career three-point shooter, very good defender, especially ridiculously good in transition defense. Uh, just a plus role player for a long time, still doing it now for the Lakers. Uh, I, th- I think he's the pick here. I think if you're trying to win, he helps winning teams be good. Yeah, and I think that for the most part, everybody else we're going to be talking about now, role player-esque sort of player in the league. And of those guys, to me, Danny Green has had the best career. And like, like you said, it helps teams win and is still helping teams right now, right with the Lakers. Like he still has that ability to be a really great Toronto won a championship. Yep. One in San Antonio. There's nothing sexy about Danny green's game other than he helps you on both ends of the court. Okay. It's the Knicks. Eighth pick in the draft, Jordan Hill, not my choice. Nah, Definitely not. Though, you know, Jordan Hill went about where he was projected to go in the draft on draft night. So it wasn't a massive, massive uh, stretch for them. I'm going to go with a guy who got dinged in part in the draft because of his age uh, coming in. And that's Taj Gibson. Yeah. Very good pick by the Bulls at 26. Huge part of those uh, Thibodeau teams. And uh, another guy who's uh, still, ironically, he's with the Knicks now. Uh, you know, still, still, still ticking, still playing in the league, even though he's got a dinosaur game with no three-point shot. But he's good enough defensively that he can still, still stay in the league. Yeah, and his, you know, look, his best year in the league, he averaged thirteen points a game. But he's a guy that has sometimes off the bench, sometimes starting just come in and done done his thing. And actually from some of the analytics numbers, if you look at, you know, uh, some of these things like warp or whatever, he's, he's in the top five of the guys in, in uh, his draft class this year and, or th- that year. And uh, again, we're talking about role players here. And I think this was the case of a player that was a little bit older when he went to USC, that that knocked him a little bit, and maybe why he falls to twenty six to Chicago when clearly the game was there at USC. He he was really good at USC, and so that it wasn't it was that wasn't the question mark. I do just think it was more about it, maybe his age and some background issues that that had kind of come up because of that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Definitely. I mean, the age, the age was a concern when he came out, and I think that's what pushed him down. I remember talking to somebody from Chicago right after that draft, and like they felt like they stole something. Like they, clearly, they were high. They, you know, they didn't just make the pick to make the pick. Like they were really high on him. So, and they clearly they were right. Okay, that's the Knicks. The now we're going to go on to the Toronto Raptors, who selected Demar Derozan, who. Turned out to be a great pick for them. We drafted him higher than that. Who do you select for them at number nine? Well, I'm going to get them a guy who can be uh, a high scorer for them and won't shoot a lot of threes. So it'll uh, it'll turn out a little bit the same. But uh, Tyreek Evans, uh, I know he uh, he's out of the league now and he missed a lot of time with injuries. You know, 594 career games. But when he played, he was good. He could score and he could set people up. Pretty good rebounder. Uh, did definitely a little bit of a, a pounder. Not a great three-point shooter, but a really, a really effective ball-in-hand player. Uh, especially, you know, when he got to New Orleans and was playing in a sixth-man role a lot, I thought he was really good at that. Uh, came to us in Memphis and had a really good year. Uh, and then uh, it's kind of gone downhill from there i just think his his body his knee especially just isn't uh just isn't in great shape so i think that's that's the thing that uh that kind of stopped things early for him was just the physical side of it but really talented offensive player yeah longevity matters but i think this is a point too also what they were doing at their peak levels Mm -hmm. matter and Tyreek, obviously that first year in Sacramento was a monster and it did go down, 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 down every year a, a little bit more, which I, you know, obviously yeah. it was a little bit problematic and, st- and until it went up again in that 14, 15 season with the Pelicans. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You just wonder if his, um, you know, if his knees and ankles had held up better, what what that kind of trajectory would have looked like. Oh, and I, you talked a little bit about this, but I forgot about that Memphis season in 17-18 where he went back up to 19 points a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a really good two-thirds of a season for us, and then uh, we kind of – we had different priorities the final third of the year. In a, in a coincidence, we ended up with the fourth pick in the draft. All right. It's the 10th pick in the draft. The Bucks are on the board. They select Brandon Jennings, justifiable, based yeah. off of his high high school career. Had an amazing rookie year. Had had like his second week in the league. Had a fifty five point game, right? Yeah, another guy that that started and then went downhill. Right, yeah. most rookies it doesn't go that way, but started high, went downhill from there. I'm going to go with a guy that had a much longer career in the league with Atlanta and then with Minnesota, Jeff Teague. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's kind of an kind of an underrated career when you look at I mean, I saw a lot of his career in person, obviously, but uh, didn't really play much his first two years and then got pressed into service in those 2011 playoffs against a really good Bulls team and showed almost right away that he should have been playing the whole time and and was, um, you know, just just really quick, slippery off the dribble, very good at making short range runners and floaters uh, and and really was able to use that to, uh, you know, got to the all-star game on that Atlanta team that won 60 in 2015. Uh, just had a really nice, nice career. Had a really good year in Indiana the one year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he's kind of probably on the downslope now, but 
put together a really nice career. And, you know, one of the knocks on him coming into the league was that he couldn't shoot. And and he worked on it. He was never like an elite three point shooter, but you know, for his career, averaged thirty six points or thirty six percent from the field, yeah. and had a year in Atlanta where he shot forty percent from three. Yeah, yeah, the three. Yeah, I mean, you saw the delivery it was kind of a low line drivey thing, and but he he got it to work. And you know, again, where Teague was always kind of like maybe like middle of the pack starter in the NBA for like, you know, five to eight years. Like he was, a, yeah. you know, top 15, maybe top 20 point guard. Yeah. Yeah. In the league definitely. for starting point guards. But yeah, that's that's something. And and he's still playing uh, right now, uh, though. I think he is definitely on the decline and he's back in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, going to be interesting to see where he ends up next year. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. Listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network, brought to you by Built Bar. We're redrafting the 2009 NBA draft. The Nets are on the clock. They selected Terrence Williams out of Louisville. That did not work. Did not work out for them. Major talent, major red flags. Yeah, and and yeah. everybody knew that coming in, and they gambled at 11 that the talent was going to work itself out over the red flags and they, they bet wrong. Yeah. Well, 
I'm going to help them here with that bet. Uh, I'm going to give them a player who wasn't drafted at all. I knew this was coming. From Marquette University, uh, Wesley Matthews. Career 38.3% three-point shooter. Very good defender. Uh, could probably have even even better arc to his career if he hadn't torn his Achilles in 2015. Uh, but still good enough to start for the best team in the league this year in Milwaukee at the age of 33. Uh, just put together a really nice career. And started started eight. Uh, I'm sorry, he only started 48. Played all 82 games as an undrafted free agent with Utah's rookie year. It is. Why does he slip out of the draft? Is the question mark for him? Because it wasn't yeah. like he was a bad college player. Uh, far from it. Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't unknown. I mean, I guess there were like there wasn't the. You could see like he didn't didn't have a sexy game, but. My goodness, like I, the I mean, the one thing I will say, he never really shot well in college, and turned out to be a much better shooter as a pro. Yeah, uh, you you look at it. His sophomore year, he shot twenty eight percent from three. Yeah. His junior year, he shot thirty one percent from three. He did up up his shot total. His senior year, shot thirty six, almost thirty seven percent from three. His free throw shooting should have given us some indication. He was an eighty three percent free throw shooter. Yeah. at that time. But here's a senior at Marquette, averaged 18 points a game. That season shot 37% from 3, goes undrafted. Wow. This this was actually this is probably the moment maybe we're going to select another undrafted guy. I don't think yeah. so though. But there's there was a lot of good undrafted players in this draft. Yeah, there sure was. Joe Inglis, Aaron Baines, Garrett Temple, Okay, Charlotte Hornets on the clock. They selected Gerald Henderson. That will not be my pick. I'm going to go with Darren Collison. Yeah. Really solid career, and he's flirted with coming back to the league like multiple times because it wasn't like he was bad, uh, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, Uh, he started for the Pacers in 1819. They were a playoff team. 76 games and then just retires. And, yeah. and one of the things about him, you know, look at that three point shooting ends up averaging 39% as a three point shooter, his 2017, 18 season, he led the league in three point percentage at 47% from three. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good shooter. Nearly went 50, 40, 90 his last year at UCLA missed by a few percentage points on threes and free throw. And was also an elite athlete. He was small. And that I think was the big the big question mark about his game, but it was quick, elite athlete, could really shoot the basketball, made great decisions, was a low turnover guy his entire yeah. his entire career. Nothing like super sexy about his game, but man, I I, I had a hard time actually selecting between him and Jeff Teague, uh, frankly, yeah, because they of both the shooting. Had similar, similar trajectories, right? They were just good. Good kind of second-tier starters for a long time. Okay. That is Ty Law, or sorry, Drew Ha, not, neither. That is Darren Collison off the board at 12. There's a lot of point guards in this draft. Indiana Pacers are on the clock at 13. They selected Tyler Hansbrough, the most Indiana Pacer guy ever. One of the most irritating players to other players to ever play the game. 
I agree with that. Yeah. Maybe until Grayson Allen came along. <laughs> Just tough nosed bull in a China shop basketball player. I don't think he's going to be your pick here at 13. No. Even though I feel bad depriving Indiana of the Tyler Hansborough experience because I think they quite enjoyed it. Well, except for the for the basketball playing part. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> Who do you got at 13? At 13, I got a guy who went undrafted and did not come to the NBA until he was age 27. Uh, I'm going to take Joe Ingles. I think finding uh, starting threes who can handle the ball and make plays and shoot is one of the hardest things in the league, and he can do all that. And I think he's still got a lot of runway left on his career, uh, where a lot of these other guys are talking about. The book is pretty much closed. So... uh, would be really interesting to see how his career would have turned out if he had come to the NBA earlier. I agree with that as well. And he's been an amazing success story for the jazz. And I'm sure jazz fans everywhere uh, are, are cheering uh, right now that, that you recognize them. Cause I think he often kind of goes under recognized because of the way he plays the game and the role that he plays as a, as a glue guy that, that holds yeah. so much together, but just a really phenomenal story at the age of 27 and you're right might be a tick or two higher on our board had he come to the league earlier i'm also at 14 now with the sun's going to select a player that took a few years to get here but when he got here made an impact especially on the defensive end patrick beverly yep out of arkansas i watched this young man work out pre-draft and was really deeply impressed with the tenacity, the work ethic. He goes overseas, gets his shot in the league and really makes a mark for himself as, as really an, an elite defender and a starting point guard starting really a second season that he's in the league for Houston for a number of years. And then has kept that going with the Los Angeles Clippers Offensively, you know, his game, you know, is what it is. He's not a major scorer, but he actually shockingly turned out to be a really good three-point shooter. Yeah, I mean, the offensive end of the ball was always going to be the question with him, and he ended up being adequate enough at at the point, especially if he had another wing who could handle the ball, and then a a really almost a knockdown guy at this point, 38% career from three. Uh, so, and that's enabled him to stay on the floor for his defense where he's obviously a huge pest, uh, and has overcome overcame a pretty serious knee injury in, in 2017, uh, to still play that role for the Clippers cut by Miami in 2011, the year they lost to Dallas in the finals. And you wonder if the heat could have used him in that, uh, uh, that, that first year they had that team together. Okay, well, that's our that's our 2009 NBA redraft. Let's talk about a couple of players that we didn't select. Some good players we didn't take. Well, I'll start Patty with Mills. A, Patty Mills we didn't select. Ty Lawson. Yeah. Who's had a long NBA career we didn't select. Uh, former Memphis Grizzlies great Damari Carroll was not selected. Damari Carroll wasn't selected. James Johnson's had a long career. Another Memphis Grizzly. Garrett Temple, while we're talking about Memphis Grizzlies. Israeli legend, Omri Caspi. 
<laughs> Another grizzly. Which I will hear about. <laughs> Should we Every talk about Nick, 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 Nick Calathis too? A great, great overseas career for him. Only two years in the NBA though. A lot of guys here. This was, this was a, this was a really, really good draft. Yeah. Ty, Ty Lawson uh, had a really great five-year stretch in Denver uh, before the wheels kind of came off of that one. So let's let's talk about just a couple of people that what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about to beat enough. Is there anything you want to add to what happened? Why he didn't succeed in the NBA? I just don't think he liked basketball. I think I see. I think this was that, and that red flag was coming out. Mm-hmm. Really early on in the pre-draft process, that this was he he was he was playing basketball because he was seven foot three. Yeah, exactly. And and that means you're not going to put in the work and the effort. But I also just think there was limitations to his game as well, though he certainly had the size. Johnny Flynn. I think we talked about that. I mean, the, the hip was such a factor. I mean, I I think I think he probably would have been something. It, clear, clearly, they botched the pick. He shouldn't have gone that highly, but it wasn't crazy to take him in the first round. Like I think it would have been something in the league. Jordan Hill, yeah, just never, just never really took off from his initial position. Right, his, his skill set never really developed beyond uh, just an interior guy. He had one season with the Lakers where he aver- averaged double digits, uh, 2014, 2015. 12 points, 7.9 points a game. And then two years later, he was out of the league. Mm-hmm. Not, not like a bust bust. No, but, but they didn't really, they didn't really get anything out of it either though. Yeah. It, it just, he wasn't in our top 14, a mistake. Yeah. Brandon Jennings started red hot. What happened to Brandon Jennings? Well, two things. One, he tore his Achilles obviously, but even so, uh, more of just a, a shoot first point guard and wasn't a great shooter. Uh, he was capable of getting really hot, but the, the overall shooting package wasn't that threatening. And so I think that that limited really what, what his contribution was going to be. His third year in the league averaged 19 points a game and his fifth year in the league averaged almost eight assists the game. And so again, there was game. For sure, Brandon Jennings had game, but I think those shooting limitations hurt him and maybe a little bit of a me-first attitude. Yeah, for sure. That was also difficult to rectify. What happened to Tyler Hansbro? Why wasn't he the star that so many people... You know, the game changed too, though. I mean, you see that with a lot of these bigs that were drafted in this time period that the that the game changed to a point where they just were excluded from it had a great nickname though psycho t yeah and it was <laughs> it was it was apt too it was apt all right you've been listening to the 2009 nba redraft with john hollinger we will be back next week redrafting the 2017 nba draft we're going to have a lot of debates here cuz there are a lot of talented players and this was young Still a very young draft. Hope you tune in next week. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.